This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation, like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to Let's Talk About It with Janelle King. I am Janelle King, and this is where we discuss kitchen table topics that are banned from family gatherings. However, it is necessary for a strong republic. And this is so exciting because the Supreme Court has been busy, busy doing what they're here to do. At least that's what I would think. They're busy not caring about the naysayers and what all they think. They are more so focused on providing answers and questions to the to the stuff that lives in the gray areas. And there are a lot of things that we can thank our founding fathers for. I've talked about that a lot on this show because I really have a strong connection to our founding fathers. I believe that they had something in mind when they were putting this country together and that it was so much more important to them that we have a strong republic and one that creates freedom that allows us to be free. So I thank our founding fathers for a lot of things. And although the idea of the separation of powers did not start with our founding fathers or come from our founding fathers, they are to think when it comes to the three branches of government that we have in place, the legislative, executive, and judicial, to establish and to ensure that we have a system of checks and balances. So sitting sitting on the Supreme Court is a lifetime appointment. Let's say that again. It's a lifetime appointment. They're not elected. And I don't understand why we seem to treat them as if they're in an elected role, as if they have to campaign every couple of years or as if they care or should care about whether or not their decision and what they deem as constitutionally correct is something that's received by people like you and I. I don't see why they have to care about that. Their job is to focus on what is constitutional, not to be political. And there are a number of people people who I hear saying things like, oh, the Supreme Court is so political. And look at these Republican judges. Well, what about the liberal judges? Because if there's Republican judges, then you have to believe that there are liberal judges. And if you believe that, then either you're okay with there being partisanship in decisions, or you're not. Because if you're not okay with it, then you wouldn't want there to be liberal judges as well. But we never have an issue with that. So the question on the table is, should the Supreme Court vote to accept something that is liberal, or are we now going to turn on them if they did accept something that was liberal? In other words, there are several times where the Supreme Court has voted on things that I, as a conservative, didn't necessarily agree with, but I believe that they were doing what they were supposed to do as the judicial branch of this government, which is making sure that we are that we are standing in a strong republic based in solely on what the Constitution has deemed as important and what the Constitution says that we are protected from, protected for or whatever. That's what I believe the Supreme Court is, is, is responsible for. So what if we took a step back 
and thought about this through the eyes of America, not through the eyes of what is Republican or what is Democrat. What if we simply looked at this through the eyes of what is American? What is America? In my opinion, it appears that anything that the American that is American or anything that is American focus has been labeled as Republican. Anything that is guided by the Constitution minus emotions also get lumped into that. And for some reason, the idea of helping too much or good intentions going awry is not computed in the equation when we're considering policy changes. So in other words, the idea that we could possibly be in a position where we are supporting policies that have not served us, have not benefited us, that are no longer doing what people thought it was supposed to do or may have never done what people thought it was supposed to do. The fact that we have those type of debates and we're deciding to get rid of these policies have caused so much uproar because there's such a deep emotional connection to a lot of these policies. Along with the idea that maybe, maybe this isn't the first time that these complex issues were debated. Maybe there, may, maybe there were times when the, we did talk about this type of stuff, but we just went around. It wasn't in our lifetime, so we just don't know about it. Or maybe it wasn't even a thought because there are so many things that are so detrimental to the sustainability of this country that's going before the Supreme Court that I don't even know if these conversations was brought up. Like the idea of the government supporting abortion, like that's not something that I think was being debated um, during the time that our founding fathers was putting the country together. I don't think they would have ever accept that. But with all of that in mind, here we are. And much like the Dobbs decision, our Supreme Court has once again ruled in favor of our American ideals, in favor of our American, uh, of our American principles. And as much as I hate sound sounding quote unquote patriotic, you know, in other words, I like to live as a patriot. I don't want to talk like one. Because when you talk like one and you're not living like it, you, you open yourself up for a lot of hypocrisy. But I can't think of another way to say it. Opportunity for all of us in America is American ideals. And I don't think there's a soul in this country who would disagree that creating opportunity for everyone is very American. But now where we do differ is on how to make it happen and ensure that it continues. As conservatives, we believe opportunity isn't something that can be controlled by human beings. It's something that happens due to a system, a system that forces us to associate with others, to work with others, to buy and sell with others. We just don't have faith in people because we understand human nature way too much. We have faith in the system. And we protect these systems at all costs. And right now, I can already hear liberals saying things like, well, the system is racist. The system is biased. You don't understand. We believe in a system, too, but it's been biased. It's, been, it's, it's so racist. But you're wrong. People can be racist. People can be biased. But the system is a process, not people. It's a process. It's not capable of being biased. Okay, so let's get back on track. Now, on the other side, you have liberals who believe that, or they tend to think that they, maybe I should say it like this. Liberals think that emphasizing the principles of equality, justice, freedom, and opportunity is something that is central to our American identity. I agree. I'm not, I am not debating that whatsoever. I totally agree. 
But before the Republicans come for me and say, no, they don't, that's not what they believe. (laughs) I'm going to say this. Ask yourself, when was the last time you actually listened to liberals? Because we do share some common understanding. There are Democrats who really do love this country. But there are a lot more who think that the pathway to maintaining equality, justice, freedom, and opportunity starts with addressing social and economic inequalities. And they, they, they believe that it, it starts with this. And that all sounds great, but there's a major problem. Their solutions require controlling the behavior and intentions of and words and political leanings of Americans. They believe addressing social and economic inequality requires the wealthy to pay more or that we get rid of capitalism and replace it with socialism, which they believe will somehow create an even playing field. But I can't go through each point individually and show the eras in their method. But I will say this, expanding access to healthcare, promoting civil rights and social justice, protecting the environment and advancing individual liberties. It's all great and dandy, but we got to do it in a way where it doesn't control Americans. But for this discussion, I am going to point out some major differences in our, in our country because it's not the goal. It's the method. I think we are all on the same page when it comes to the method. So once again, we're back at this fork, fork in the road where we have a method, method, method issue. And that method issue is when we're discussing affirmative action. So when the ruling was rendered, I was in the media a lot. I did a lot of media hits. And a lot of it was just kind of talking about where I stand on this. And I was attempting to explain how this ruling is rooted in Uh, is rooted in equality, not in inequality, but it's rooted in the whole idea of equality way more than the affirmative action policy has ever, ever done. So today I'm going to walk you through my thoughts about the methodology that is associated with this ruling. It's not about how it looks having this policy. It's about what this policy represents because it's ultimately rooted in fear. And I want to dive into this because I need us to understand that, particularly when it comes to black people, and we're going to talk a lot about that, because after really researching affirmative action, I don't even understand why black people are so emotional about it. And I'm going to explain that on a deeper level after the break. But I, I, I understand this concept. A lot of times in the black family, and I did a show last week on civil rights and the, uh, becoming a religion in our community, but I think that we have to always keep in mind that whenever we remove policies that are seemingly put in place in order to benefit black people in the black community, a lot of times they're not just seen as policies of advancement or equality or leveling the playing field, however they want to list, list it. Oftentimes, it's seen as policies that are holding back Jim Crow. It's almost like a dam that's holding back Jim Crow and his ultimate racism and the Ku Klux Klan. And like, it's almost like they feel like when you remove this policy, we're now getting closer to Jim Crow. But that's because they don't have all the facts. So when we get back from the break, I'm going to list off some facts. I'm going to provide people with some facts as it relates to why particularly black people need to stop defending bad policy that's not benefiting your community. And we need to look at what other people are saying so that we don't get super duper emotional about it and end up hurting ourselves. We'll be right back. 
This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season. to Let's Talk About It with Janelle King. I am Janelle King. And if you missed the first part, I just kind of broke down a little bit of what we're talking about, which is affirmative action. The Supreme Court just rendered a, a ruling that affirmative action is just not necessary. We don't need it. We don't need it. And I have some facts to back that up. Because as I stated before, a lot of our challenges is about methodology. And that's what we're talking about. In other words, it's the why. Why... Do they feel this way? Many people believe that the decision was politically motivated. And I'd rather not spend time debating, debating political motives because I'd rather consider the facts and base my support or lack of support on that. Because I can't tell you what's in people's hearts. I can't tell you if, you know, there was something political. What we do know is that no matter what role you sit in, everyone comes to the table with some biases. I have two degrees in psychology. One is in general psychology and one is in industrial and organizational psychology. And when I think about that, one of the things that we were told is that going into this area or this industry, you have to be aware of your biases. And I'm very much so aware of my, my biases. And I think everyone should be. But it also says that everyone has biases. So, yeah, I, I think there's something to understanding that we do have Supreme Court justices, elected officials, and just people in general that do have their own biases. So that's why we have to lean on the facts because if you lean on the facts then you'll know that what you're what you're 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 believing in what you're saying what you are fighting for it has a foundation so that leads me to fact number one affirmative action was for black people but used the most by white women so that's fact number one contrary to common misconceptions white women are the largest group benefiting from affirmative action policies, not just in academics, but also in the workplace. White women today are more educated and they make up a bigger slice of the workforce as a result of decades of affirmative action policies. White women have also made huge inroads in the corporate leadership space, way more than women of color. And I'm going to go kind of go interchangeably between black women and women of color because affirmative action affects all people of different ethnicities, not necessarily just pretty much anyone who's not white is who affirmative action is for supposed to be. But we'll talk about that a little bit more. But how much more are white women benefiting? 
And this is not an attack on white women. This is just me wanting to highlight that as black people, we're fighting for policy that's not benefiting us. According to a 2020 report, women in general held about 29% of senior level positions according to like in the S&P 500 companies. Now, according to this report by according to another report by the Center of Talent and Innovation, as of 2019, black women held 1.62% of executive or senior level positions in the Fortune 500 companies. 2%. So that means 27%, actually it was 27.6, so that makes about 28% are mostly made up of white women. Mostly. It's not black women. Black women only got 2% of that. So if there are other women that are of color, it may not be, you know, it's it's not black women. So that's just let's just keep that in mind, right? So why are liberal white women opposing affirmative action when they are the ones who have benefited the most from it? So we got to start there. I think it's essential to consider this perspective when we are discussing this impact of affirmative action as it relates to different subsects of the population. So that leads me into fact number two. There is a huge mismatch of academic qualifications that's happening as a result of affirmative action. Another concern around this whole topic is that Students are being placed in these into instu- um, institutions where their academic qualifications are just not aligning with their overall academic v- rigor. So in other words, you're putting kids who may be at the top of their class in their failing school in groups in, 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 within uh, you're putting them in colleges with students who are at the top of their class in exceeding schools. So just because you're in the top 10 at your failing school where you may not be getting, you know, may not be learning what you need to be learning or, or getting the proper education, you throw them in the mix with kids who did get a proper education, you automatically fall to the bottom. I can further explain this by saying this. The mismatch that, that, that what I'm speaking of has impacted educational experiences for a very long time. Thomas Sowell, who I always, I I quote him a lot. He's an economist. He spoke to Congress in the late 80s or 90s. I can't remember exactly the time frame, but from the looks of the video, I would say it's about the 80s or 90s. (laughs) I could be wrong, so, (laughs) but that's what it looks like to me. But anyway, he made a point where he stated that the average black student was in the bottom 10% of MIT students in math, but they were in the top 90% of all American students simply because MIT is known for being a leader in mathematics. So on a grand scale, everything looks good if they graduate. It looks like, okay, well, they're in the top overall, but they're in the bottom 10% at the school. Well, we also found that oftentimes black students who are there due to affirmative action struggle to graduate And in some cases, they just fail to graduate altogether. So why do we continue pushing a policy that is hidden under the guise of equality and benefiting black people when it's not? And most importantly, why are there black people protecting a policy that doesn't benefit them? This leads me to fact three. And we're going to kind of go back to fact two, but in a different way in a little bit. So fact three. 
there are quotas. I'm so tired of liberals telling me, oh, there's no quotas. We're just making sure that we look at these. Okay, if you weren't looking at black applications, then you're just flat out racist. This is ridiculous. Everyone's looking at every application. We don't need to deter or put the black applications to the side or the minority applications to the side in order to say, now we got to look at theirs with special glasses because they have their special people. That's a problem. So I hear a lot that from this, particularly from universities, they're like, we don't have these quotas, but let's look at the data. Let's look at the data. The, the, the data, because I believe I can prove that there are quotas. So about 15% of American high school uh, graduates are black. 15%. That's already too low, but we'll talk about that in another, another show. But Princeton, total student body, only has about 8% blacks. Okay? The same goes for Harvard. In fact, back in 1984, Harvard's freshman class was 8% black. Here we are on a whopping 39 years later, and we saw a slight bump to 10%, 10 to 11%. So affirmative action has led to an increase of 2%, right? We could say maybe that 8% may have been part of affirmative action too because it was in the 80s. But I will say the slight bump we saw, was like, okay, 10 to 11%. I believe this year, I think I saw that at one school, they were going to hit 14%, but that's not surprising given the, S and the, the ESG stuff, right? Like, you know, all the social, you know, you, you got to meet these quotas. You got to make sure that you have enough black people and all the other stuff. So they may, let's just give them 14% for this one year. But for the past decade and decades, we've sat at about 10%, these universities, so to be clear, the data shows that Ivy League schools have grown from 8% black enrollment in the 80s to about 10 to 11% over the last past decades. And to make matters worse, because let's keep in mind, if it's set at that percentage for, for decades, then that means that they, they obviously have been hitting a certain number, but not exceeding it. So to make matters worse, elite colleges increasingly admit black students from mixed race backgrounds or immigrant families from Africa or the Caribbean rather than black Americans. So here we are again of that 10 to 11%, a huge portion of that are immigrants. They're not black Americans. So again, I don't understand the civil rights argument or the, um, the, the, the black community argument around affirmative action. Because now if you're supporting bringing in all people of color, not just black people, <laughs> then you might have a slight argument. But then we got to go back to the fact that there's obvious quotas. And when you have a quota, that means, all right, you only can accept about five people and then we're going to kick you out. And once we kick you out, you know, I mean, I mean, once we get those five people, no one else of color can fill these slots. That's a problem. So that leads me to fact three. Affirmative action leads to unequal standards in college admissions. Recent data from the U.S. Department of Education revealed that Asian American applicants are often faced with higher standards and lower admission rates. Now, how does that make any, any sense? We're going to give them higher standards that they meet, 
but then we're going to admit them at a lower rate. And this is compared to all other racial or ethnic groups. It raises the question about fairness, in my opinion, fairness in the admission process. Because why do I have to work extra hard to have a lower shot of getting into the school? Does that make any sense? Where is equality in that? And many of these students that they are holding back are people of color. They're most, I mean, they're Asian kids. So you're telling me that a, that affirmative action that's supposed to be for all people of color is somehow now hindering Asian kids from coming in. So we're lumping Asian kids into the category of white kids. I mean, we've got to have these discussions because this is where the, 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 this is where the, methodo- uh, the methodology comes in. Because now we're no longer talking about the feel-good message. We're just saying that you're not promoting equality. And oftentimes, these kids that are immigrants who um, are particularly of Asian descent, they come from parents who have come from countries the right way. They, meaning that they, they didn't jump over the border. Like they're actually coming here legally in a lot of cases, in a lot of ways, they're coming here legally. And they've worked hard to obtain their version of the American dream. And they simply want their children to do the same. And that's why the lawsuit that was filed that went to the Supreme Court came from, guess you guessed it, mostly Asian parents. And considering that most of the students that meet all these requirements, including academics, they are competing for a handful a, a, a portion of slots and it's just not fair and to, to top all that off <laughs> the reason why they felt like they needed to repeal this is because the policy that's supposed to support people of color is not supporting them i can't reiterate that the most So we got to a point where we realized that this policy is no longer doing what we thought it was supposed to do. So we got to get rid of it and move on and do something different. Which leads me to fact number four. Predominantly white institutions that have have seen an increase in black participation since ending the diversity clause. Did y'all know that in Georgia, all 26 university systems here in Georgia are they have removed the race and ethnicity factor as it relates to emissions. So they no longer use race or ethnicity ethnicity to determine uh, as a determining factor for emissions. So what did that do to these colleges? Well, let's look at the numbers because, again, we're talking about facts. The diversity enrollment at Mercer College here in Georgia 22% of the enrollment are black. 22%. Not 10 or 11%, like at these affirmative action schools. 22%. At Oglethorpe College, 58% of the enrollment there are people of color. At Georgia Tech, 35% are people of color. So it increased. So this fight that somehow black enrollment will decrease below the 10 or 11% that it currently sits at with these Ivy League schools is once again being debunked by data. We have 
proof that shows this. Not every college is using the whole affirmative action policy. And they're seeing wins. They're having a more diverse uh, student body simply because they're choosing people based on merit. Another fact that I want to talk about is the fact that affirmative action hits us in a way where it, it, it removes the ability to create real diversity. So here's another fact. Meritocracy is diversity. When my husband and I was campaigning, we went to Mercer College and we spoke to the young Republicans. And one of the things that they said was that they were like, isn't meritocracy diversity as itself? Because we're not choosing people based on the color of their skin. We're choosing people based on their qualifications. And that would naturally create diversity. A public opinion poll consist, uh, consistently shows that a significant portion of our population believes that emissions decisions should be based solely on merit, not considering race or ethnicity at all. That's what most people in the country believe. Affirmative action undermines meritocracy by prioritizing diversity over qualifications and achievements. I happen to believe that there is an ability that we all have as humans, and I believe that we're all capable of success. And personally, I think that hard work, grit, determination, they are all the great equalizers on campuses. That being said, that leads me to another fact. Affirmative action has and does create stigmas and implications to black students. So for everybody who's talking about mental health, considering that black people are the most outraged by this decision, we've got to point out the mental health effects of affirmative action, the negative effects, <laughs> because it has inadvertently stigmatized individuals from underrepresented groups by implying that they are not capable of achieving success on their own merit. And when you consider that just under 2% of all black students in Harvard are there due to academics, to be exact, 0.67% of students out of the 11% are there for academics. Everything else is because of the color of their skin. So you can see why other students see this as a major major problem. And that leads me to another fact. Another fact is affirmative action does not address root causes of discrimination. While affirmative action attempts to tackle discrimination, it does not address root causes of discrim discrimination simply because it can't. Discrimination is not solved by meeting diversity quotas or by putting people through diversity trainings every quarter to keep their jobs. Discrimination can only be changed by changing the heart, by completely renewing the mind. All of these policies, what they really do is they perpetuate cycles of discrimination. They don't stop it. And it's done by having these race and ethnicity clauses that cause, that are, that, that are known to all the students and cause students 
to simply be aware of this, especially when they feel like they're not succeeding when other groups are because they have, you know, special privileges or because they have, um, you know, they, they're in because they, they were able to lower certain requirements. I mean, the students know all of this and it's risking a, it's risking a climate where you're reinforcing stereotypes and biases rather than addressing them. In other words, if I'm not clear, diversity, diversity hires, diversity, you know, emissions, all of that stuff simply leads to resentment and division. Because the firm, because affirmative action promotes this us versus them mentality which fosters animosity instead of unifying. And that leads me to another point. My final fact before we go into our, we take a break and we go into my closing. (sighs) Y'all, let's talk about legacy emissions. Because I am hearing so many people say things like, oh, now that we got rid of affirmative action, we now got to, we got to get rid of legacy emissions. And for those of you who don't know what legacy emissions are, it's basically saying that it's, it's the students that get in or get special or preferential treatment, in other words, because they're, 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 I guess their resume, I mean, their applications are looked at more, or they have a better shot of getting in because their parents went to the college and the parents, their parents graduated. So these students are now a part of the legacy emissions. And, and the fact is that legacy emissions is not parallel to affirmative action. It's not even in the same category. We got to tell the truth. I'm not arguing supporting legacy emissions or not supporting it. I'm not. My argument has nothing to do with any of that. The reason why I'm saying this is because what I am debating is whether or not legacy emissions has anything to do with affirmative action, and it doesn't. It's a narrative that was conjured up as an attempt to combat affirmative action. And we've got to be clear on that. It was just, it's all about combating affirmative action. And for one legacy emission for that for for that student to be singled out I wonder if that student has to be white because there are legacy students from all backgrounds there are black parents who graduated from these colleges who would love to see their children have that same opportunity as well So when you're attacking that, assuming that it's all white kids or mostly white kids, let's think about this. We're going to finish this discussion on legacy after. In today's fast paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at LGECCU.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps a $5 minimum balance required. 
The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season. Break. Welcome back to Let's Talk About It with Janelle King. This is Extra 106.3. I am Janelle King. And before the break, we started breaking down facts that dispelled or debunked this whole notion that affirmative action is something that benefits black people. Because it doesn't. And I kind of went through those. So if you missed it, don't worry. You'll be able to hear it again on my podcast, which will drop on Tuesday. You can go to my website, allthingsjking.com. We left off talking about the new attack on this decision to get rid of affirmative action, which is, well, what about legacy emissions? What about the students who get in because they're parents? I left off by saying that let's keep in mind that legacy emissions is not something that's based on race and that there are legacy students from all backgrounds. Two, legacy emissions is earned by the parents to provide an opportunity for their child. Some totally different. It's not recruiters going going into schools that they know that they are jam packed with kids who unfortunately are not prepared to go to college, but saying, hey, I'm going to take you, you, you and you to meet my quota so that we can say that we have a diverse audience or we have a diverse student body, but we really don't. In my opinion, legacy admissions is no different than scholarships for students who have who have parents who work at a university. There are some colleges that offer scholarships to the children of the parents who work for the university. Should we take that too? I mean, should those kids not get those scholarships? Because that's really what you're saying. However, I am not against you having the right to sue. If you want to sue the Supreme Court, do it. You have the same rights as the parents who sued over affirmative action. But just keep in mind that you're taking away something that's not just going to hurt white people, because I feel like that's what this is about. I feel like you're trying to hurt white students. And that's why we got to get rid of affirmative action, because it creates a us versus them mentality. But please understand that while you're suing, don't go suing all in the name of I'm trying to combat the affirmative action ruling because there's no comparison between the two. They're not the same. We have to have a real conversation around nepotism versus discrimination because nepotism, whether you want to call it nepotism or you want to call it building generational wealth, (laughs) because I hear a lot of people of color say things like, well, we need to go back and look out for our community. We need to buy black We need to support our black businesses, support our black students. We need to give the upper hand. I don't know how many times I'm told that because I don't agree with some of the conversation, the narratives that's associated with the culture, that I'm somehow not looking out for my people. I am expected to do more for the black child or the black adult than I am for any other ethnic group. And if you want to pretend like that doesn't exist, then you're lying to yourself. And that may exist in all communities, but you can't get upset if you do see it in other communities. There are a lot of people who own businesses, who hire their children, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that they do. They want to keep the business in the family, but it also has to do with the fact of loyalty. It's a lot easier to trust family who have have skin in the game than it is other people. I don't have a problem with nepotism. I don't. I don't think it's a bad thing. I just think it's a part of the system. 
It's a system that helps to build generational wealth. So whether you want to call it nepotism or call it building generational wealth, that's your choice. (laughs) But we can't call nepotism discrimination. I mean, we can't. It's two totally different things. Now, if you think that the legacy of mission is nepotism, then, you know, there you go. There you go. You can say that. But I don't think you'll win because it's not unconstitutional to hire your family members over other people. It's not unconstitutional to pick students that come from parents who have earned a degree at this school and paid so much money into this school. It's not bad or it's not wrong to do that. It's just not. So you're probably not going to win that lawsuit. It's going to be a waste of money and time. But here's what it is. This this is how I want to close this conversation. I think it's crucial that we have this open and honest conversation about affirmative action and other controversial topics. Because I think the intentions behind affirmative action may have been noble, but the quotas and the unintended consequences have hindered it so much that it's no longer effective. And as a society, I just think that we have to strive to find ways to level the playing field for all Americans, but it has to be done by removing the crutches. The crutches that are handed to some and not to others. That within itself creates an imbalance in the foundation, which in my opinion leads to additional problems. The fastest way to create an uneven playing field is to give an upper hand to one group and not to the other. It's to assume that because one group may have financial stability or economic stability, that their emotional stability must be high as well. It's to assume that we know what's happening in everybody's household. It's to assume that because someone's skin is fairer than yours or you have less melanin in it, that somehow that automatically means that they come from a family that can do it without help. That they automatically come from a family that has it all together. Believe me, it's not the case. And it's not the case to assume that because I have a lot more melanin that causes my skin to be darker, that somehow that means that I am not capable or that I have to have a crutch in place in order to create some form of stability in my life in order to create a life that I want for myself. We've got to stop prejudging people and people's experiences through the filter of race. I have a really, really good friend who I'm very close to, who's a white woman, and she grew up in immense poverty, more poverty than me. I grew up in a two-parent household where my dad worked, my mom stayed at home. It's pretty traditional if you think about it. And I can guarantee some of the stories that she have told me about her upbringing, I have no clue about. I have no clue. I don't understand it. But she worked hard. And she worked hard knowing that she's going to be seen as privileged simply because of the amount of melanin that's in her skin. And you can debate this all you want based on your emotional responses, but the facts are just not supporting it. I want us to focus on what really sets us apart as people. That's character, determination, dreams, 
and grit. It's not our skin color. It's not the thing that's, that truly separates us. There are good people and bad people in all ethnic groups. There's nothing to do with the color of your skin. If the color of your skin determines your character, anyway, we'll leave that alone. That's for a different conversation. <laughs> I just want us to think about how we are impacting our world, our country that we all have to live in. How are we impacting it? How are we affecting our own country when we choose to see people through the color of their skin? Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've walked away with some facts. And now you understand for those who are questioning why I was not supporting the affirmative action policy and why I was happy that it was overturned. Now you know, because the facts just prove that it's not working. It's creating a problem. So go be great this week. Thank you so much for listening. We've talked about it. Now you go talk about it. today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps a $5 minimum balance required. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.